Welcome to Grazia Life Advice, Grazia Magazine's podcast. I'm Hattie Crisell and each week I speak to women worth listening to, asking them to share six pieces of advice they really value and the worst piece of advice they've ever received. Our guest this week is Jane Shepherdson. Jane has had a remarkable career in fashion, working her way up from the shop floor to become brand director of Topshop, where she helped take profits from 9 million to 110 million within six years. Then she left and became a co-owner of Whistles and worked her magic there too, spending eight years redefining the look and feel of the brand. In 2016, she left Whistles and took a year out, and now she's back hosting her very own podcast, Out of Fashion, and she is brimming with wise advice. So, over to Jane. I'm here with Jane Shepherdson at Grazia's office. Welcome to the podcast, Jane. Hi, nice to be here. Very nice to have you. Um, So I was one of the many, many people who were left bereft when you left Whistles, having got all of my wardrobe from Whistles during (laughs) your tenure. Um, So first of all, I have to ask, what have you been up to since you left? Well, um, I've actually, I feel like the luckiest person in the world, actually. I've been on a year-long road trip down the uh, west coast of America Um, with my husband and the dog Um, we went out on the boat and um, for the dog obviously you went all the way to the west coast of America on a boat no no we went to (laughs) New York on the Queen Mary (laughs) wow yes which sounds more glamorous than it actually is uh, because for seven days you don't see anything but like grey stormy sea because it's the Atlantic but um, yes we went for Dexter um, I'm sure he appreciated it, although he hasn't told us yet. Um, <laughs> and we went to New York, but then we drove across America, stopping in all the sort of key places like um, Chicago and uh, Yellowstone National Park. Um, we saw bison, we saw mountains, we went um, uh, through Idaho, through Wisconsin, had an amazing time, and uh, ended up in, in Vancouver, spent three months there, three months in San Francisco, and then three months in L.A., and then sort of drove back again through the desert and um, the, the, the the deep south and came back again. Fantastic. It, well, it was amazing, really, because we, we, we just we rented a car to get to Vancouver. Then we bought uh, a, like an SUV and a canoe, strapped it to the roof and just went and tried to to be as spontaneous as possible and tried to not really plan, um, you know, only sort of plan a few days ahead, which which meant that we could just do anything. You know, we, if we felt like going to the Grand Canyon, we would just go to the Grand Canyon. So we went to Tahoe and Yosemite and, you know, all of the places that, um, I mean, it's such a beautiful coast, such a beautiful coast. So I mean, you, that is the dream that a lot of people have and never realise. Did it live up to everything you wanted it to be? It really did. Yeah, yeah. It's it's funny because um, I kind of wonder in a way why more people don't do it. I mean, I know um, we're lucky enough to be able to afford to do it. We, we rented our house out. Um, but lots of people say, well, I couldn't spend that much time with my husband or my boyfriend. Um, and, and I guess we do get on extremely well. I mean, there were times when, when we both felt sort of a little bit lonely because it was just the two of us. Um, and some mornings when we woke up and just thought, oh, my God. God, what on earth are we doing? This is ridiculous. <laughs> um, but, you know, you have a cup of coffee sitting on the porch in the sun and go for a walk and you kind of think, oh, yeah, this is... Yeah, we thought, hang on a minute, we've worked for like 30 years. Um, it's time, you know, it's, there's no reason why we shouldn't do this. It's Absolutely. fun. And did you feel when you when you came back sort of refreshed and... Yeah, yeah, I, th- I think I've got a different outlook, certainly. Um and I think my values have changed a little bit and that I that freedom for me is now sort of the 
the the most important thing um, than than being sort of tied down in, into a into a job. Um, I think I'm I appreciate the I I think perhaps I live more in the moment than I used to. Um, and I keep sort of, you know, almost I've come back to London and I'm living in a different place. So I'm living in a, in a flat in Haggerston as opposed to the, the house in Islington, which is still rented out. And, I, and it kind of feels like I'm discovering London again for the first time and everything I see looks beautiful. And I, I, it was funny because I was posting a picture of the canal that I thought looked amazing the other day. And I realized that when I looked at the location on Instagram, it actually had a Haggerston Riviera. (laughs) (laughs) I thought, oh, someone else has realized this is the place to be. Um, So, yes, I I think I've got it. Yes, it was it was good for me. It was definitely good for me. And the other thing I have to ask you, because everybody wants to know, is are you going to come back to us and start designing our clothes again? And <laughs> we, what are your plans? Have you got anything I up your sleeve? I should probably point out right now, I did never actually designed the clothes. Well, My designers I mean. would be very cross. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm kind, at the moment, I'm kind of gathering information. I'm very interested in doing something um, in the sustainable fashion sphere. Um I'm sure I and lo- millions of other people watched the Stacey Dooley program the other day, um, which I, I thought was really quite shocking, actually. I thought it was a really good program because it visually showed the the, the, the terrible things that fashion's doing to the world. Um, it was very well done. Um, I kind of felt uh, almost ashamed and rather dirty having been a part of the fashion business when I when I saw that. But it is in my blood. I mean, I love, I love clothes. I love the, the creation of, of, of clothes, and I, and I like to. Um, I just like, yeah, that that whole process of creating something. Um, but I'm, but I'm determined to do it in a different way. I mean, for a year, I bought almost no clothes at all. I think I bought one striped top and a pair of shorts, um, and I just didn't care. And it was extremely liberating, just not caring, you know, about, about what I wore. And I've come back and I, and I put some of my clothes into storage, and um, I, I got them out a, a few weeks ago. And I'm, it was like having a whole new wardrobe. It was wonderful. <laughs> so I've got all these clothes that. Uh, absolutely fine. I mean, they're beautiful, well-made clothes. They're going to last me for the next sort of two or three years. And I, so I consequently haven't really bought anything since I've come back either. And I quite like that. I quite like the feeling of that. Um, I would like to, to create some sort of um, platform. I'm not sure quite how, but to incorporate both pre-loved, which of course is the, is the most sustainable because it's already there and it's already been owned by somebody, um, upcycling, recycled, Bit of army surplus, maybe. I don't know. A, a sort of a mixture, uh, and and sort of small, sustainable brands um, that create beautiful things. Because I have a real bugbear at the moment is that most of the ethical brands that are out there, um, the design is not isn't good enough. Mm. Um, and and you know, no one's going to buy um, something just because it's ethical. You have to you have to be compelled to buy it emotionally because. It looks beautiful and you want to wear it. So, And that's what you're very good at. So well, I'm going to try. I have high hopes. <laughs> okay, brilliant. Well, let's get started on your advice. So what's your first piece of good advice for us? Okay, so my first piece of advice is um, never let money be your driving force. And this wasn't actually a piece of advice that was given to me, but this was something that I was, both my parents believed and so I was just brought up believing it. Um, 
they were both academics. Uh, my father was a maths professor, my mother was a biochemist, and loved what they did. Uh, equally loved the long holidays. We used to travel an awful lot. Um, and, it, and it was never about it was never about money. You know, they, they were they weren't particularly well off, um, but we got by and um, and and just had had a great life. And it was just and they were, and they were lefties, you know. So um, we, it was about you know you if you, you you're going to have to in, you have to enjoy your life um, and find something that you really love doing, um, and that's much more important than than being really rich and having a terrible job. Yeah. Which, I guess it's kind of obvious, isn't it, really? Do you think that's influenced the type of person you are who now, you know, had le- you know, left a great job and went off travelling and... Yes, you know. definitely, definitely. Um, I think it, it gave me the freedom, the personal freedom to be, to be able to say at times in my life, because I have done this twice now, um, to say at times in my life to say, you know what, that's, I've, had enough, I've had enough of this now. I'm just going to... I'm going to leave. I'm going to go. Um, I don't really care what the consequences are. I'm mm. sure something will turn up, you know. Have you always had that sort of confidence? No, not not at all. Um, and I'm not sure. Well, I'm not, I wasn't not sure it's confidence necessarily. Um, it's kind of more bloody mindedness, I think. Um no, I mean, I, I've lived my life and I still do, you know, feeling that I'm a little bit of a fraud like everyone else does. <laughs> you know, we all think that we not shouldn't really be in the job because, you know, we don't actually know what we're doing. Well, it's it's a, it's a female trait, isn't it? It's, um, I guess, lack of self-esteem to, is what it stems from. But um, but I've, I suppose I've just always thought, oh, well, sod it, you know. If I don't get another job, I don't get another job. We'll find something else. I'll, I'll find a way through. Yeah. Um, I think I guess it's about your priorities, isn't it? It's about deciding, you know, what's important and yeah. And also, I think I do think if you're in in the in the wrong job or you're working with somebody who uh, you don't get on with, you expend so much negative energy, and that just feels like a bad thing to me. And as soon as I've sort of started to feel that, I've thought, right, it's time to go. So moving on to your second piece of advice, which is work related okay yes um so only employ people who are much smarter than you are well I mean that's obvious isn't it (laughs) (laughs) I don't know when I when I I don't know whoever said this to me it was a long time ago and I think at the time I was like yeah well whatever you know (laughs) um uh, but actually I have made it a, a real point of doing this my my entire career and I mean, it makes so much sense because clearly it means that you can kind of take a back seat and let everyone else get on with it and do it far better than you could ever do it yourself, which then you do kind of have the, the slight feeling after a while you think, oh, shit, yeah, could I actually do that now? I don't know. Um, and you find yourself slightly sort of displaced. But, you know, it's it's for me, it's absolutely that that's what you should do. You should find the, the brightest, smartest, cleverest people and bring them in and then they will make it theirs yeah I think I think that that is a sign of having a sort of inner confidence as well though because I think people who feel insecure don't want to surround themselves with very smart people you know and I I can imagine certainly a certain kind of boss who would rather that their staff didn't outshine them in any way or you know (laughs) yeah yeah. no I I can I can see that well maybe I'm just lazy (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah that's probably it yeah (laughs) okay 
Okay. So your third piece of good advice, be uh, brave. Yes. Um, well, I think this one is um, – I'm sorry. I'm just reading the rest of them. So, um, no, I think this one is um, – Again, it's a, they're all they're all kind of obvious things that I'm saying here. It's just that that um, we're so afraid of of failure and sort of public failure um, that quite often you you kind of just don't actually do something or don't really push yourself or really or really go out there. Um, and and in the experience that I've had, it's when I have done that when I've really pushed myself, really gone out there, done something that feels really quite scary. Well, l- like taking a year out, um, the, 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 those are the best times that, you know, you, you, you sort of live out outside of this sort of comfort zone that people talk about all the time. And, um, and, and it feels like real living in a way. It's almost like if you, if you, if you don't do something that scares you a bit, then um, you're kind of not pushing yourself as, as much as you could do. Does yeah. that sound weird? I no, don't know. No, that makes sense. Did, yeah. you, did you feel incredibly sort of alive while you were yes. away? Yes, I yes, yes. It would... just felt like we were actually living our lives, you know. And what is, what is the term that people use now? Living your best life. Being your best self. <laughs> <laughs> we were being our best selves, yeah. <laughs> okay, I was really interested in your fourth one, always try to give people a way out. Oh, this is yeah you know what someone said to me quite early on um I think it was maybe when I was um negotiating because I was a a buyer for a long time and so uh, a lot of the job was negotiating with suppliers and um and somebody said oh always give the person the Kennedy option which I didn't know what the Kennedy option was but apparently it was um, something that JFK used to do um which is give someone a way out so that whenever you 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 come to an agreement, you know you don't kind of screw somebody to, down to the ground so that they leave the the negotiation feeling crap and feeling like they haven't got anything, but you try and make them feel that they like they have got something. You know, I mean, this again, I mean, it's kind of obvious stuff, but um, I I don't like to have a negotiation with anybody, and 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 feel that we've come away from it with them thinking, damn, she really got the better of me you know I would rather that we came away both feeling good about it that we both felt we got something from it that um and 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 I I was you know when you're a buyer for a clothing brand there's an awful lot of pressure for you to get the prices as low as possible um and I don't know I just again I felt that there had to be some sort of a fairness you know, within that negotiation that, that, you know, I would get something and they would get something. And also, you know, it's, it doesn't do anybody any good to, to keep on getting the price lower and lower and lower because, you know, it, somebody is always paying for it at the end. So. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. And also, I, I think it's just probably good for your working relationships to not have people feeling that you're screwing them over Com- all the time. Completely. And I, and I have suppliers who I've I've worked with over the years of you know will, will email me and say yeah I've heard you're thinking of something Jane if you ever need any favors just just give me a shout which is which is amazing because um you know if I do start a business there will be small orders um and, I, and I'll need to call those favors in so um yeah I've got I've, I've got pretty good relationships with most of the people I've worked with yeah. yes yeah well, that pays off for mm. sure yeah um so your where are we? Your fifth piece of advice. Yes. Be true to yourself. Well, I guess that we probably, in a way, we've sort of covered this, but I, but I think it's, uh, 
you know, if you are in a job or a relationship where you're feeling that the role or the person is forcing you to behave in a way that isn't the most natural to you, if you're not being completely yourself, um, then I think you should leave it. I just, I really do. I think I think we get, um, you can allow yourself to be um, sort of pushed around or, or in, into a certain role uh, as, as as a victim or, or something else, you know, and I think it's I think it's just really important that you sort of take a step back and say, "Hang on, is this me?" You know, this you know it it doesn't feel like it doesn't feel right. If it doesn't feel right, you should just go. You should leave it. Again, you see, I'm leaving. There's, there's a theme here. <laughs> and have you ever been in that situation where you felt this just isn't me? I'm going to go. Um. Well, I think I f- I felt when I was uh, leaving Topshop. Um, that if I stayed, I would be being, I wouldn't be being true to myself mm. um, because um, my values and Philip's values were, were very, very different. Um, I spent a long, long time there sort of running the business pretty much on my own and, and, and without any involvement. And, and as I began to realise that, that, you know, he wanted involvement within, with Topshop, with the brand, um, I just realized that it wasn't it just wasn't me you know it's not it's not me I don't I don't want to go off on yachts in Monaco I don't want to have famous people in my address book you know it's this just doesn't appeal to me it's not it's not the way I want to live my life um and so yeah so I just thought well I'll, you know I'm I've got to go this is time for me to to move on good for you and that in itself is a very brave decision well yeah it's kind but it's in a way it's kind of easier to to do that than to carry on really Mm. um well you realize that afterwards um but it it was terribly difficult though leaving that the team you know the people you've worked with for sort of some of them for 20 years uh was really hard uh and that's and there was so such good fun you know I still see a lot of them now so yeah it's good well you've gone you've gone on to more good things so um and your next piece of advice, this is your sixth, although I can see there is also a bonus <laughs> piece of good advice coming up. But your sixth is don't fall out with family. <laughs> I've seen so many people who have fallen out with close family that just and 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 their lives are kind of blighted by it afterwards. You know, they fall out because of the smallest most ludicrous things that obviously feel really important to them at the time. Um, but they fall out over these things and then life is never the same again. You know, your family, whether you love them or loathe them, you they're, they're your family. You know, they're the people who are the closest to you who know, well, maybe they don't know you the best, but they're the closest to you usually. Um, so I think unless they've done something, you know, despicable which of course happens and I, I you know if, if that is the case then please you know go ahead fall out with them but I think generally people tend to they fall out with their family over small things that can be rectified or can, with a bit of thought beforehand can be avoided and um, so yeah and, and, and it's really sad and 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 you know they then spend a, an awful lot of their lives really regretting that, but not able to overcome some pride within themselves, whatever, um, to, to to sort of get that relationship back again. Um, so I I think that's sad, and I, and I and and so many friends of mine who you know I'm at the stage of life now where where friends of mine's parents are sort of 
ill or, 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 or dying. And, and some of them haven't made up with a parent, you know, and that's, that's really sad. And you know that that's going to affect them after their parents die. Yeah. So, so um, this isn't something that you've had any personal experience with in your family? No, I haven't. But there have been times when, when you know, we could have fallen out over things. And I've, I've known enough to, to a, particularly a, a close friend of mine has, has fallen out with members of, 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 of his family. So uh, it's kind of, it's, it's made me think twice and, and, mm. and made me sort of try harder. It's so easily done, isn't it? And we've been, because um, as we record this, Christmas is coming up. So we've been talking in the office about um, the challenges of going home to your family for Christmas and how they drive you mad and you (laughs) find yourself behaving like a child. Yes, because they know how to push all your buttons. (laughs) Yeah. So I can absolutely see how something you know objectively trivial can become a kind of huge sticking point between siblings oh god or... yes yeah, yeah yeah i think it's christmas is a particularly scary time for families isn't it yeah <laughs> yeah Ooh, um, and boxing day i think actually boxing day is the worst yes i agree i think christmas eve i always love and we always have such a me great too, time me and too. Then... the anticipation <laughs> on christmas eve is is kind of still there isn't it things go downhill from there <laughs> <laughs> oh. Too many drinks, too yeah. many, yes. <laughs> too much food, too much close proximity. Too, yeah. Um, now your your little bonus piece of advice. <laughs> Tell oh, me this. this. Well, I was kind of loath to include it. This was um, actually given to me by a man that I worked for that I didn't particularly like. Uh, it was quite early in my career, and uh, <laughs> he just said one day, and like a really kind of patronising voice. No, James. Was remember, don't run in front of the troops. <laughs> what does that mean? Well, I didn't know what he meant, but I did, but I actually do know now, and it's a piece of advice that I have actually stuck to. So, uh, for example, in, in Whistles, we we had many uh, big ups and downs. In particular, we took we we, we bought into Whistles in um, t- the beginning of two thousand and eight, which was of course the year of the global financial crisis. And by September of that year, the banks that were that were supporting the brand went under because they were Icelandic banks. And I think basically Iceland went bankrupt, or seemed to be the case. And um, so we had no working capital. At one point, we didn't even know if we were going to be able to pay the staff. And um, I just. Th- I felt, and, and this, this people, some people might think that I was just really dishonest, but actually, I just kept going and kept smiling and kept saying, yep, let's come on, let's develop this, let's do this. Kept everything sort of upbeat. Journalists would phone up and say, is Whistles having a problem? <laughs> and I'd go, no, it's, you know, everything's great. I, I don't know why, I just thought... It was important for uh, everyone who who worked for Whistles to still feel good about themselves, to still feel good about the brand. And I thought, you know, until we actually go under, there's no point in anybody else worrying about this apart from me and me and the the other people on the board, obviously, who were worrying as well. Um, So so when you say don't run in front of the troops, you sort of mean 
put on a brave face in exactly. front of your staff. Yes, yeah. that's exactly what it is. Yes, don't. I mean, I mean, what I what I think you shouldn't do is kind of you know stand up in the office and go, oh my god, it's dreadful. I don't know what we're going to do. It's awful. Which is of course what you feel like saying. And I have had bosses like that actually, because <laughs> you kind of think, well, what are they going to do about it? They're just going to go home and really worry, and and you know, there's no there's no point in that. If if other people don't have to worry, then then don't worry them, you know, just be calm. And and so I've had various other situations, you know, not as, as, as dire as that, but where things have gone wrong. And I've just thought, you know what, it's not their problem. It's my problem. I'll deal with it. Yeah. And uh, yeah. That's brilliant. Um, so now <laughs> on to the worst piece of advice you've ever received. <laughs> so, so somebody said, so, okay, I've been dying, desperate to have a dog for a long time. And seven years ago, we got one. Um, Dexter, who's a miniature Shania. We don't have children, so clearly this was a big deal for us. And um, before I got Dexter, the, um, the reason I got Dexter was because there were lots of people at work, um, in particularly Claire and Gemma, if you're listening. Um, they both had Schnauzers and they were just going, oh my God, you've got to get a Schnauzer. They're such amazing dogs. And um, so I thought, right, this is it, this is it. And I managed to persuade Barry to get a dog. And um, but, but prior to that, lots of people had said to me, oh, my God, don't get a dog. I mean, it's a lovely thing, but it's going to ruin your life. You won't be able to go on all the holidays that you go on. You won't be able to travel. You'll really, it'll just, you know, it'll ruin your life. You know, you won't be able to do anything at all. And, uh, and actually, my parents were a bit like that. They were a bit like, no, we can't have a dog because, you know, it's going to stop us traveling and... So I kind of thought, oh, yeah, all right, can't really have a dog. That's a shame. Anyway, so we got a dog. And, um, well, obviously it hasn't stopped us traveling at all because he, he comes with us. Well, he came with us to America. He doesn't come with us when we go. Um, well, he comes. We, we've traveled twice to France with him in the car. Um, and that was fun. We travel so much more in the UK now that we have a dog. We go to places that we would never have gone to before, North Wales, South Wales, Lake District, you know, because I, I, I love walking and I love walking with the dog. It's just fun. Yeah. Um, so it hasn't really curtailed our life in any way. And when we do go away to, to Europe or, or wherever without him, um, we have lots of friends who want to look after him. So okay, he's happy. Good. At least he's cute enough to. Oh, he's have very, he's super cute. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, thank you so much. That's all your advice. And I've absolutely loved talking to you. You're thank very you. welcome. It's been a, a great pleasure. Huge thanks to Jane and make sure you check out her podcast, Out of Fashion. If you enjoyed Grazia Life Advice, please subscribe, rate us, review us and share us. It really helps spread the word. See you next week for more advice from women worth listening to. Bye.